Srimad Bhagavad Gita as it is. We are going to finish up the 13th chapter this evening. 13th chapter is Nature, the Enjoyer, and Consciousness. And in summarizing the end of the chapter, Krishna is going to give a basically a recap of everything that's in the chapter. So we'll try to also follow his lead <laughs> and give kind of a recap. Before we do that, uh, we'll begin by chanting the Sanskrit uh, verse 35. Shetra, Yorevam, Antaram Janachakshusha, Bhuta Prakriti Moksamcha, Yevidur Yanti Te Param. Those who see with eyes of knowledge the difference between the body and the knower of the body and can also understand the process of liberation from bondage in material nature attain the supreme goal. Omajana Trimanandasya Janajana Salakaya Chakshur Unmelitanyena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha I was born in the darkness of ignorance but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. In summarizing this 13th chapter this evening, let's jump back to the first verse and remind ourselves what Arjuna was wanting to know. Arjuna of Acha, Prakritim Purusham Chaiva. Arjuna's first question to the Supreme Lord is, Oh, my dear Krishna, I wish to know about Prakriti, nature, Purusha, the enjoyer, and the field and the knower of the field, and of knowledge and the object of knowledge. So I'm going to read uh, the translation of the verses uh, leading up to the conclusion that we just chanted. So we're going to start with text 27. And basically, we will find that starting with text 27 through the end of the, uh, through the, end of the chapter is, is a nice summarization of what's been presented in the whole chapter. O chief of the Bharats, know that whatever you see in existence, both the moving and the non-moving, is only a combination of the field of activities and the knower of the field. One who sees the super soul accompanying the individual soul in all bodies and who understands that neither the soul nor the super soul within the destructible body is ever destroyed actually sees. One who sees the super soul equally present everywhere in every living being does not degrade himself by, the, by his mind. Thus he approaches the transcendental destination. One who can see that all activities are performed by the body, which is created of material nature, and sees that the self does nothing, actually sees. When a sensible man ceases to see different identities due to different material bodies, and he sees how beings are expanded everywhere, he attains to the Brahman conception. Those with a vision of eternity can see that the imperishable soul is transcendental, eternal, and beyond the modes of nature. 
Despite contact with the material body, O Arjuna, the soul neither does anything nor is entangled. The sky, due to its subtle nature, does not mix with anything, although it is, it is all-pervading. Similarly, the soul situated in Brahman, vision, does not mix with the body, though situated in that body. O son of Bharat, as the sun alone illuminates all this universe, so does the living entity, one within the body, illuminate the entire body of consciousness. I'm sorry, by consciousness. Those who can see with eyes of knowledge the difference between the body and the knower of the body and can also understand the process of liberation from bodage and material nature attain to the supreme goal. <clears throat> Krishna begins by pointing out to Arjuna that whatever we perceive with these senses, the sense of sight, both moving and non-moving, whatever we see in material nature is only a combination of the field of activities and the knower of the field. It's only a combination of the field of activities. Now, early in the chapter, what is the field of activities? Shetraj, yes, the body. The body is our field of activities. It's like a little car. We drive it around. Everybody's got a different one, different make and model, specifically tailored uh, to fulfill our desires and to uh, give us facility to uh, move within this material nature. And the facilities of the body, which the great saints and sages basically consider a prison house. <laughs> it, it, it constrains our, our free movement. Uh, the soul is, uh, is, is desiring fr complete freedom. The body is the exact opposite of that freedom. It's complete restriction. Now, of course, man will say, well, the body gives us so much facility. I can see, I can hear, I can smell, I can taste, I can feel. Um, I have my working senses. I can work, move from one place to another. But from the perspective of the soul, we're constrained. And the constraints are dependent upon the body that's awarded by material nature. We have, of course, the human form of life. Uh, we have advanced consciousness. Uh, we're not so restricted. Uh, we have some, some higher intelligence, and it gives us some freedom. But with this body, I can't live in the ocean. I can't fly in the sky. I can't burrow down and live in the earth. So I, I have, even though I have facilities that may not be available to other species of life, there are also restrictions. Now in the beginning of the chapter, Krishna explained that the living entity, the soul, the souls, the various living entities, are, are situated throughout material existence. They're everywhere. And the bodies of those souls vary from the, from the microbe all the way up to the big whale, or bigger than the whale. There's fish that are actually larger in the whale. So the bodies, the size of the bodies, they, they change. I mean, imagine a body, if your body was, was 
12,000 pounds. So this, this big whale that just took a trainer's life, that was the weight of the body. That was his body, huge body. From that big body down to a little infinitesimal body of a, of a microbe, a, a, a worm in stool, such, such variety is there in this material world. And according to the body that the soul identifies with, the constraint is there, naturally, by the laws of material nature. This verse, 27, whatever we see, we need to see as the combination of the field of activities, which is the bodies that are offered by material nature, and the knower of the field, the jiva soul. Our soul within the body has knowledge of the body. The pains and pleasures of my body aren't known to you. And similarly, I don't know your pains and pleasures. So the range of our understanding is limited by the body. So the consciousness pervades the body. It illuminates the body. It animates the body. But the consciousness is limited within the confines of the body. We need to understand that whatever we see is the Lord's external material elements, the constituents of the body. What are they? Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. So there's five gross constituents and three subtle, mind, intelligence, and false ego. So Krishna goes on. And he says, one who sees the super soul accompanying the individual soul in all bodies and who understands that neither the soul nor the super soul within the destructible body is ever destroyed actually sees. Well, wait a minute. Krishna says one who sees the super soul, meaning the Lord, Oh, how do we do that? I can't see the super soul. When we think of seeing, we think that we can, we can perceive. So in order to see, Krishna is saying, one who can see, so we have to say, well, how can I see? I'm not going to be able to see the soul that's residing in the body. I can't see my soul I can't see your soul. What to speak of seeing the supreme soul whose energy pervades everything and who also resides in the body, in the heart, I can't see. Because my seeing that I'm accustomed to is based on these material senses. So the seeing is, our seeing, in order to come to a spiritual understanding that Krishna is requesting of us. He's saying, one who sees. How can we see? We can see with knowledge. We may not be able to see with the sense of sight, but we can see with knowledge. Now the verse we chanted today, the last verse, what's the, what's, what is it? Jnana Chakshu. Jnana is knowledge. Chakshu means to see. If we can see with knowledge, then we can see. So the senses 
are giving us some limited sight. I can see you here, I can see there, but I can't see through the wall. I can't see the Los Angeles, but I can know that it exists with knowledge. There's a city on the other coast, and I can have some knowledge of that location, and therefore I can see, I can perceive it with knowledge. So similarly, the only way that we're going to be able to see our true self is through transcendental knowledge. Knowledge beyond the purview of these material senses. Krishna goes on, one who sees the super soul equally present everywhere in every living being does not degrade himself by his mind Thus he approaches the transcendental destination. Again, we're not going to see the Lord within ourself with the material facilities. We have to see with knowledge beyond our range of inspection. Now, we really need to, to understand this. Because when we look at mankind's ventures in the world, we see that Everything that they base their existence on is through an inspection with their senses. Like the scientist, the great scientist, he's, he's, he's analyzing things with his, with his senses. They're limited. They're only going to take us so far in understanding well, then the scientist says, well, maybe I can't see the smallest, so therefore I will invent a mechanical device. I will take some sand and I'll heat it up and I'll make a lens and I'll put it in a, in a cylinder and then I can see. Well, how, how small can you see? Well, if I can't see it with the lens... <laughs> Then I'll take and I'll, I'll bombard it with the smallest particles that I can come up with with my little machine here. And then I'll see. Oh, but I, you can't see certain rays of the spectrum. Well, then I'll invent a machine to see those rays for me. So I can't see the bones in the body, but therefore I'll invent a machine and then it will send out rays and the rays will come back and then I can see. In every instance, as long as we're trying to see this material world materially, as long as we're trying to perceive things on the material platform, not only are the senses of the body limited, they can only see so far. We can only hear so much. We have a limited spectrum of sight. We have a limited spectrum of hearing. We can only smell such a wide thing. We can only taste. The palate only goes so far. We can only feel so much. So we're limited. The dog over there can hear better than anybody else. Any, any of us here in the room... That little fella, he can hear. His spectrum of hearing is very big. But his sight, his spectrum of vision, according to the material scientists, but we'll use their, 
their knowledge for now. He sees in black and white. His spectrum is very limited. But his hearing, very great. Everything within this material nature is limited according to what? Shetra, the body. This chapter deals with what is our field of activity when we're in this material world and what's beyond this field of activity. So in the summary here, Krishna is saying what's beyond the field of activity, you have to have a transcendental vision. This verse, one who sees the super soul. Well, we know we can't see the super soul with these eyes. So we can see the super soul with knowledge. So we can know that there is a soul within their bo uh, this body and there is an all-pervading soul who is the Supreme Lord. His energy pervades everything. That's knowledge. That's the beginning of spiritual understanding is simply recognizing as in the Prabhupada pointed out in the purport to the verse, the final verse today, what was the distinguishing? If we can see that there's a difference between our ability and God's ability, that's a huge step in spiritual advancement. To, real, to understand that, that we are not God, that there is a God, but we're limited, he's unlimited. He can see all bodies. He can feel what's experienced in all senses. That's what it is to be God, infinite. We're infinitesimal. We're limited, very little limited sphere of activity. God's completely unlimited. There is a distinction between the supreme, all-pervading personality of Godhead and ourselves, little jiva, insignificant soul, minuscule. Insignificant in one capacity, very significant in another. So how do we become significant? Krishna is explaining here. How do we become significant? One who sees the super soul equally present everywhere in every living being does not degrade himself by the mind. Well, that's pretty significant. Not to be degraded. To actually have real knowledge and not to be subject <coughs> to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. That's pretty significant. Thus, the, thus he approaches the transcendental destination. One who can see that all activities are performed by the body, which is created of material nature, and sees that the self does nothing, actually sees. Now we're talking about some real vision. Some real visions required to understand this level of transcendental knowledge. To be able to understand that in this material world, our existence has nothing to do with this field of activities. Our true self is independent of this. Oh, how do you mean? This is, this is, it gets, then all of a sudden you say, whoa, wait. Independent. Well, first of all, Krishna, in the very beginning of Bhagavad Gita, what was his initial instruction? You're not this body. Never was there a time that you did not exist, nor I, nor all these kings, nor in the future will any of us cease to be. I'm eternal. I don't end when the body ends. The soul within the body, it can't be 
moistened by water. It can't be blown away by the wind. It can't be burned up by the sun. Anything that can happen to this body, everything happens to this body. From beginning to end, it ends and it's completely withered away. Now we're talking transcendental knowledge. Now we're talking spiritual vision. I'm not this body. Now Krishna's taking it to a much higher level here. Not only are you not the body, but you have to see that the activities of the, on the material plane are not you. That takes some real insight. They're not you. But the consciousness is there. The consciousness. But what is the consciousness? The but consciousness is... And reads. What is the consciousness telling you? About them. About In the conditioned state, what's the consciousness saying? Saying what's going on with your body. It's saying you are the body. I am this body. It's telling you at every moment. The misconception of identifying with the body as the self, that misconception is giving you knowledge that's a misconception. It's not true. We're identifying with the body, but the body isn't me. Cut off the hand. It's laying there. Sew this up. Is that me anymore? It was me when I was a, I was putting my consciousness in. Yes. The consciousness is pervading the body. But, the, but when the body dies, where's the consciousness go? Well, it transmigrates. It transmigrates. But, we don't but, why, but how does it transmigrate? Yeah, do we know how it transmigrates? Does it actually travel through space to its next body? Or does it just disappear and reappear mm. by Krishna's will? It it disappears from this body and it goes to another body by whose will? The Lord. Mm, no, by his direction, but who wills it into another body? Oh, the consciousness, the soul. Yes, the activities. We desire. What's Krishna say in Bhagavad Gita regarding that transfer? He says specifically what? Whatever state of consciousness we have in the moment of death, this is... Yes. So the consciousness is pulling you to the next body. Of course, there's some supreme direction because, really, look at it. We're in this body, but we don't even know how this body works. Although we are giving facility to fulfill our desires in this body, our knowledge of the body is really limited. The body is, is taking food stuff in and digesting it and turning it into energy to sustain our existence. Are you knowledgeable of how the food is being digested? Krishna is. No, but you, yes. What's he say? I'm the fire of digestion. The Lord within this body, his superior consciousness and his superior agency... He also has an agency, just like in the government, we have different agencies. He has his agencies. They're referred to as demigods. They control all the different workings of the various material bodies. We do not, we don't really control the fact that the eye 
is being watered every so often perfectly by the blinking. We have no control of it. It's blinking automatically. We're here. Now we can force, you know, like if you get something in your eye, you can hold one closed. And, but really, moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day, do you really think about blinking your eyes? If the eyes didn't blink, how long would you be able to see? They'd dry out. No more vision. The sense would be gone. So it's interesting. So much control is there in the body. The consciousness at the time of death is pulling to the next body. But the body is controlled by material nature. That's the point Krishna's making here. Very transcendental point. One who can see that all activities are performed by the body, which is created by material nature, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, the five knowledge acquirer senses, the five working senses, the sense objects, all these things in material nature. It's all working. The body's working perfectly by the dictates of material nature. And sees that the self does nothing, actually sees. We can get some glimpse of how the self does nothing. Just when we think about those natural functions of the body. Motor functions or... Huh? Yes. So these things are going on. And we can see some of them we don't have, we don't have control of. The blinking of the eye. You know, certain things happen automatically. I cut my skin and automatically all this stuff starts to happen and there's a scab there to cover it up and then there's the, all this other stuff comes in to keep the germs away. I'm not controlling that. It's happening by the control of this material nature. But I have a misconception. I'm this body. I'm this body, but I'm not controlling hardly anything that's going on to it. I can say I'm going to work. I can do certain things. I have a limited range of movement, a limited range of consciousness. But ultimately, when we really sit down and contemplate the situation, the majority of the activities, even of the body that we're currently residing in, are outside the range of our control. Does anyone here control how they grew up? From a small child to a bigger child. Anyone here? Were you thinking about this? I'm going to grow up now. My bones, I'm going to make them larger. Were you thinking? I was thinking in your, what you said before in your previous life, your consciousness determines what kind of body you get. But the biological problem is out of your control. So, so many things are out of our control. So, this gives us an idea. And Krishna is bringing that point here. No, you're not the body. So, in so many ways, we always think, I'm the doer. Krishna is saying here, the self does nothing. Whoa. It's, it's a little bit hard to take. The self does nothing. Does that mean I don't sin? No, you don't sin. But, in 
when your consciousness is contaminated with the concept of being the body and being the doer and being the enjoyer, then that misconception makes you relate with this material energy, become subjected to the modes of material nature and suffer and enjoy the consequences of your desire. Now Krishna goes on here. He explains it's only desire. Text 31. When a sensible man ceases to see different identities due to different material bodies and he sees how beings are expanded everywhere, he attains to the Brahman conception. So it's being explained here that what is the Brahman conception? He ceases to see different identities due to different material bodies. He ceases to see different identities due to different material bodies. Now when we look and we see so many different entities, we see we see based on the vehicle they're driving, we make a distinction. Here's a rich man. He's got a Maserati. <laughs> Rolls Royce. It used to be a Mercedes. Everybody's got a Mercedes now. <laughs> Here's a poor man. He's driving a, a Chevy Nova. <laughs> or a... Uh, anyway, we won't go. <laughs> but different. We, have, we see and we immediately relate. Oh, here's a black man. And here's a white man. Here's a yellow man. Red man. Here's an elephant. Here's a bee. Here's a germ. We're seeing all these things. And we're making a distinction. There's a difference. Krishna's talking about the Brahman conception here. Now elsewhere in Bhagavad Gita, talks, Krishna talks about this. And he talks about someone who's a saintly person. And what is his vision? What's he see equally? Bhagavad Gita, the elephant, the sage. Yes. Krishna makes some distinction. He says, somebody that's really seeing things, he doesn't see the distinction. He sees he doesn't see a difference between the dog and the dog eater. He doesn't see a difference between the sage Elephant. elephants. A few Really, it applies to everything, doesn't it? These are just a few that Krishna's picked out. But a sage, he doesn't see that distinction. He's seeing with jhana chakshu, jhana, knowledge. His vision is with knowledge. He's seeing the Brahman conception in that he's seeing that the soul that resides in all those different bodies, that soul is equal. The body is different. The body is, we have been placed in the body based on desire. But the soul, the soul is the same. Now I have this body. Next life I may have a body in a heavenly planet or in a hellish planet. If I'm really sinful and they don't know what to do with me, I'll be thrown in solitary confinement. I'll have the body of a tree. I can't even walk around. I won't get into any mischief. What do we do in society, even in our own human society? What do we do with those 
most, most vile of miscreants. Where do we put them? Lock them in a box. <laughs> no one's allowed in. <laughs> no one's allowed out. You throw the food in underneath the bottom of the door. If you put your hand in, it may be eaten off. Such vile people. Well, that's the way society deals. Unfortunately, the Lord also, he has his way of that he has to deal. What do we do with the serial murderer, the child rapist? I mean, what do we do with people that are so vile? We have our prison house. Material nature also has their prison house. And what do we do with those great saintly personalities? Those people that really care about the welfare of mankind, that do good for everybody, who look out for the betterment and the welfare of everyone. We give them a responsible post. So the Lord's material energy, it also works in a, in a very similar fashion. We can see how our... We can see how these things work within human society, how these distinctions are made and how people are elevated and how people are degraded, how the elevated people are dealt with, how the degraded people are de dealt with in society. We have a harder time seeing what's happening in the Lord's material nature. Therefore, what? Jana Chakshu, we have to see with knowledge. Moving right along, so I don't keep you here all night. Those with a vision of eternity can see that the imperishable soul is transcendental, eternal and beyond the modes of nature. Despite contact with the material body, O Arjuna, the soul neither does anything nor is entangled. Such transcendental vision that we can actually divorce ourselves from the activities of this material body. That is spiritual life. Spiritual life means we act in such a way that we divorce ourselves from the actions and reactions of this material body. We divorce ourselves from karmic reaction. We don't do things that are going to prolong our imprisonment in the misconception of being the body. We can intellectually know that we're not this body. That may be one thing, but how do I free ourselves from the misconception? That we can't do. That's very difficult. We may know, but how do we actually accomplish that freedom? The verse we chanted tonight speaks to that accomplishment. So let's move on. It's such a transcendental vision. Just try to see what Krishna is explaining here. The way a man of knowledge, the way the soul should perceive the self, the way we need to see our true existence. We have to have a vision of eternity. What's our nature? Eternity, full of knowledge, full of bliss. We have to have that, a vision of eternity. 
to see that the imperishable soul, no matter what happens within this material body, even you kill the body, it doesn't affect us. We're separate. That's the kind of vision that's required for spiritual advancement. It's not some pie-in-the-sky concept to have such transcendental realization. There is a way to accomplish it. There's a way to experience it. Krishna speaks earlier in Bhagavad Gita. Raja Vidya Raja Guyam Habitram Idam Uttamam This knowledge is the king of education, the most secret of all secrets. It's the purest knowledge. Why? It gives direct perception of the self by realization. There has to, in order to come to the level of understanding that Krishna is explaining here at the end of this chapter, we have to engage in activities that allow us to experience our spiritual nature. Book knowledge will only take so far. It will only take us so far. We have to engage in, di in direct spiritual activity in order to experience our spiritual self. Only by such engagement can we come to realizations like those being presented here. Despite contact with the material body, O Arjuna, the soul neither does anything nor is entangled. You're not going to come to that transcendental realization when you're still trying to exploit this material world for your sensual enjoyment. It's not going to happen. We have to act on the spiritual platform in order to completely realize spiritual knowledge. The sky, due to its subtle nature, does not mix with anything, although it is all-pervading. Similarly, the soul situated in Brahman vision does not mix with the body, though situated in the body. An analogy. Krishna is giving us an analogy. The sky. The sky is all-pervading. It's everywhere. It's both within and without. Within our, in this material, on this material plane, everything we perceive with our senses, we can see through this analogy, we can have some glimpse of what is the all-pervading nature of the soul. Now, all-pervading nature of the soul. What does that mean? It means that there are souls and they're all-pervading, but the individual soul is distinct from the supreme soul. Our pervasiveness is limited to this field of activity. I can perceive this field. You can perceive your field. We can't feel each other's fields. I may have a pain in my neck, but you're not going to feel it. Our fields are limited. But souls permeate everything. That's the Brahman conception. Those individual sparks of consciousness pervade everything, and they inhabit different bodies. 
O son of Bart, as the sun alone illuminates all the universes, so does the living entity, one within the body, illuminate the entire body by consciousness. So we've touched upon that. And the analogy's there. The sun illuminates the whole universe. So does the living entity. So does us. And it's explained that the actual size of the soul that resides within the body is one ten thousandth the area of the tip of a hair. So much energy. In s just imagine. Just that much energy the soul has. And we see, and we can see through Shastra, Shastra Chakshu, we can see through the eyes of Shastra how powerful one soul can become. It's an interesting narration of a great ascetic. And he was very antagonistic against the Supreme Lord. And he wasn't really satisfied with the way the material world worked. He wanted to do something about it, at least in his particular instance. So he performed tremendous austerities. He didn't eat, he didn't sleep, he stood on one leg for hundreds of years. I mean, you've heard of yogis that do so much austerities in the Himalayas and they'll sit in the sun in the middle of the summer and just surround themselves by fire or they'll, uh, they'll take on vows that are just practically unimaginable to us. Just drink a little water every day, hardly take anything. Just live on roots and berries. Of course, I know some people that try that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so much austerity is there so he was very very austere and his austerities were so great that he was holding his breath and hardly even taking air in he was residing his soul he had he would he had performed austerities and Living entities had consumed his body except for his skeleton. So he's like skeleton remains. He's, in, he's just residing in the marrow of the bones, hardly breathing, to such an extent that he gained great power. And his breathing was so limited that when he didn't breathe, everybody in the universe was suffocating. That's how much material energy, power, that he obtained by his by his austerities. We can't imagine. Finally, the supreme living entity within the universe, Lord Brahma, who's actually the engineer of the material creation. He's not God, but he's, he's like the, the head man when it comes to creating a world. Uh, he came down and he said, please, you've got to stop these austerities. What can I give you? He says, well, I... I don't want much. I want to be eternal. I want to live forever. forever. Well, the creator of the universe is like, you can't really give what you don't have. Come up to me and you want a million dollars and I'm not a millionaire. I'm not going to be able to help you. You're coming to me, the creator of the universe. When the universe dies, I go with it. I can't live longer. This is my duration of life. 
So when the universe is devastated, my duration of life ends. I can't make you immortal. And this great yogi, his name's Hiranyakasipu. Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's look at this another way. I don't want to be killed by any weapon. Oh, okay, that's no problem. You got it. I don't want to be killed in the air. I don't want to be killed in the land. And I don't want to be killed in the water. No problem. I don't want to be killed in the daytime or at night. That's all right. You can do that. And on and on. The requests are placed before Brahma by Hiranyakasipu. And he's saying, yes, I can do all that. I don't want to be killed by a man or a beast. All right. It's okay. All right, have I got it all? Not in the day, not in the night, not in the land, in the sea, in the water, not by a man, not by an animal. Huh? Inside and outside. I don't want to be killed inside or outside. Okay, let's see, what else? Did I get them all? Huh? The land or the sea? Yes, okay, we got that one. All right, night or day, I got that one. I think I got them all. I think I'm immortal. I'll start breathing again so the universe can have a little air. So that much, that much power is there through, through austerities. So imagine being so austere that you have enough control to make everyone in the whole universe bow down before you. That's how much this one yogi, Hiranyakasifu, was able to accomplish. So our sphere of activities is limited to this body. By performing mystic powers and opulences, we can extend that beyond this body. We can control other bodies. So the mystic yogis, they actually can attain uh, eight opulences uh, by their practice and extend their powers. Unfortunately for Hiranyakasipu, he met his match in the Supreme Lord. He ultimately was destroyed and the Lord was so... He's God. He can do anything. He was able to keep all of the benedictions that this yogi requested. He was able to keep them all intact and still kill him. So he wasn't able to stay immortal. He didn't kill him in the day and the night. He killed him at twilight. He didn't kill him on the land or the sea or the water. He killed him on his lap. The lap of the Lord is nothing material. He didn't kill them with any weapon. He killed him with his transcendental nails from his hands. So he kept all the benedictions intact. When he was half man, half beast. Yes. Lord Nishringadev. So anyway, that's another pastime. But just the point is there that the soul illuminates the body. And the soul has so much energy, so much potency. And even modern scientists, they have some, uh, some concept that they say we only use a very small fraction of our power of our brain. Don't they? They say if we could really use our whole brain, we'd be amazed. And we see some people that use a lot more of their brain than we, than we do. Mozart or a Beethoven or an Einstein. So then to the final verse. 
that we chanted. Those who see with eyes of knowledge the difference between the body and the knower of the body and can also understand the process of liberation from bondage in material nature attain to the supreme goal. Jhana Chakshush. By seeing with knowledge we can see beyond the senses and that knowledge is enough to give us a firm footing in our spiritual self, in the spiritual reality of our existence. And with that firm footing in our spiritual existence, we can be relieved. And what's, what's, the ver- what's the verse say? Bhuta prakriti moksham cha. Bhuta. We're Bhuta. We're the living entity and we're entrapped in material nature. But we can obtain liberation from the entrapment with jhana chakshush, with this knowledge. I'll stop there. Are there any questions, comments, corrections, additions? Well, I I know this is so basic and maybe... um when you say the soul has so much energy, you're you're talking about it's not material energy, it's spiritual energy, right? I mean, how do you, how do you say the soul has so much energy? It's not of the material. It's not a material nature, right? So I don't understand that. I'm sorry. I know it's like really really basic. But. No, it's a great question. It's a great observation. Mm-hmm. And what's Krishna say in Bhagavad Gita to that? Sarvasya chahamridi sani visto matasmritir jadamapohanam cha. I am seated in everyone's heart. From me comes knowledge, remembrance, and forgetfulness. Whatever we're able to accomplish, whatever knowledge, whatever abilities we have, are actually coming through the agency of sanction of the Supreme Lord. It's not that Hiranyakasipu controlled so much material. He was given facility by Krishna due to his desire. So if you read these verses, like we're supposed to be reading <laughs> the verses throughout the week, studying the purports so that you come here, you have an understanding of the purports, what Prabhupada said. In the purports, he points out very clearly that the soul's true function is what? It desires. Simple concept. All religious understanding, even the Neanderthal religious philosophy has an understanding. Man proposes and God disposes. Not a blade of grass moves without Krishna's sanction. Our position is we desire. Our unfortunate position is that we miss desire. We direct our desire in the wrong area. We direct our desire away from what you said, from our spiritual existence, into this limited sphere of activity. And this whole chapter is speaking about knowing the limitations of this material world, of this material field of activity, and recognizing our spiritual potential. Does that properly answer your question? So speaking about the, the energy, since we're 
we're part and parcel the same as Krishna in quality, not mm-hmm. quantity, right. but doesn't that speak to this, this energy that the soul has? Yes. And one of those, so we have some infinitesimal amount, but that infinitesimal amount in and of itself is so powerful that we can accomplish things beyond our wildest. But again, the verses we read tonight, that accomplishment, that spiritual accomplishment is not in relation to this material field of activities. In this material field, we actually do nothing. It's simply the interaction of the modes of material nature in the material body. But yes, sir. Well, we have to use what we have in the material in order to facilitate that. That's correct. And how do we use it? Well, we chant. We use it in a spiritual way. <laughs> Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu, Smaranam Hadasevanam, Archanam Vandanam Dasyam, Sakyam Atmadi Vedanam. Hearing, chanting, remembering. The spiritual master, the true master of our of spiritual life, he teaches us how to take this material field of an activity, employ it spiritually, and spiritualize everything. And that understanding is so profound. So much so that when we see a pure devotee of the Lord, a Lord Jesus Christ, a great saint or sage, a spiritual master, anybody in the, you know, coming down in the disciplic succession, the Lord, his personal associates, people like that, they don't have material bodies. It's a hard concept to grasp. The spiritual master does not have a material body. Well, it looks like a material body. It walks like a material body. It talks like a material body. How can you just say it's not a spiritual body, a material body? Well, how's it used? Well, it only works for Krishna. It only talks of Krishna. It only sees Krishna. It only uses its senses to, to do some service for Krishna, to walk to the temple, to bow down before the Lord. Well, that everything that the body's being used for is spiritual. That's what spiritual is. That's why at the end of the end, when the spiritual master actually departs this world, we understand that his the body was entirely spiritualized. Therefore, there's samadhi. This body that's completely exploited, we're trying to enjoy the senses, we need to burn it. Otherwise, it's a great burden to the soul. Spiritual master's body is not burned. Why? Because it's been completely spiritualized by activities on the transcendental platform. That seems Lord Chaitanya was Krishna because he's exhibiting everything that we we want to know. The the love of God. Mm -hmm. Sort of like walk the walk, you know, the acharya. And the analogy is given. If you take an iron rod and you place it in a fire, eventually it takes on all the characteristics of fire. It can start another fire. You're leaving so early? Yeah, thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Did you get some prasadam? Can you take some with you? You're set. Yeah, yeah.
So we're not going to see you from Sunday for a week or so. You have a good trip. Thank you. All success. You can come back and manage us all. I missed you Sunday. Have a good trip. Hare Krishna. Anything else? I have one quick question. I mean, mm-hmm. I may have missed this because I wasn't here in the last few weeks, but mm-hmm. the title of the chapter, Nature the Enjoying Consciousness, um, is it talking about the individual living entity as an enjoyer? Because I know Krishna is the supreme enjoyer. Mm-hmm. So is the chapter talking about the enjoyer as a living entity being an enjoyer? We're also enjoyer to a limited extent. Mm-hmm. We just have to determine where we want to seek our enjoyment. Mm -hmm. If we seek our enjoyment through exploitation, then we become subject to the reactions of those activities. Mm -hmm. Now, the soul really doesn't exploit. This is the point here. It's very subtle, but the soul does not exploit. The soul does not sin. What do you mean the soul doesn't sin? If I perform a sinful activity, I'm going to suffer. Yes, you're going to be kept in illusion by the Lord's external potency. But truly, the soul has nothing to do with the material world. It's an illusion. It's a misconception. If we can gain knowledge of spiritual, our spiritual self, understand we're not this body, understand that there's no enjoyment for the soul in the body, unless you use the body 100% for the service of Krishna. Then there's enjoyment. Yeah, I noticed that I wasn't really enjoying myself until I became a devotee. You know, true enjoyment. Yes. Material enjoyment never been satisfied. And that's so much, and it becomes so... That spiritual service, that, that, that idea of service becomes so prominent that even in what appears to us to be the most horrendous of circumstance such a spiritually situated person is without any any material concept of existence so when you hear well, Lord Jesus you know he was, he was crucified on the cross but he wasn't relating with the body he wasn't thinking, I'm hanging up here. He's realizing, oh, my father, he's, he's requested I do this. He has some purpose. What his purpose is, I'll surrender to that. In the beginning, there was a little bit of, why are you doing this? And then it was like, well, if you really want it, then do it. That's fine. That's spiritual consciousness. Can we come to that level of consciousness? Why not? Does it require some direction? Yes, that's the position of the spiritual master. You start out here, you learn how to walk, then you can learn how to run. So we learn, we start, we begin somewhere in doing activities to please the spiritual master and he will take us from this consciousness of exploitation to the consciousness of service. Then our life is perfect. I just want to say that um, sometimes like um, people will say about like, you know, like a yoga master or, you know, like um, a saint or a sage that, you know, like they'll, if that person gets sick, you know, has any bodily, you know, reaction or, you know, it's, it's 
falls ill, mm-hmm. um, that, that person is not like real, you know, really has. You know, you're talking about like a spiritual master. I understand. Has spiritual has a spiritual body. You know, the body is spiritual. Yes. And so there's this, you know, this notion um, that, uh, you know, a master that's not, you know, that falls sick is not like really self-realized or not authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying that that is like a notion that some people have. It's a, yeah, it's a misconception. Right. It's like they're identifying with the body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a matter of using it. How do we? What is the utility of a thing? Yeah. So we may yeah, see. I mean, just like it's understood when even Krishna, the Lord Himself, was here in any one of His various incarnations, He comes again and again. What's Bhagavad Gita said say about that? Avijananti mamudha manusim tanamasvita. Fools deride me when I descend the human form. They do not know my transcendental nature, my supreme dominion over all that be. With our polluted consciousness, we can't even see God when he comes. He could be standing, he could just be, you know, like they say, if Jesus was to walk down the street of New York, who would recognize him? That's simply a bum. (laughs) Look at him. No no transcendental vision, no jnana chakshu. So similarly, when the spirit, when a when a true saint comes, he may not dis- display bodily symptoms that that we can recognize due to our our material vision. But those that have spiritual vision, they can recognize a saintly person, even though he may have an infirm body or an old body or a diseased body. They recognize what is the spiritual current within that body. So it's simply due to a lack of spiritual vision that people think in that way. That you can judge a transcendental person by material circumstance. It's, it's actually it's, uh, it's the trick of Krishna's potency. It's to keep the fools out. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you.